0: Today we're going to be reading from Malachi. Some of you may know what's coming, even when I say that. Uh, We're going to be reading from Malachi 3. If you're wondering where that is, it is one page before the New Testament begins. We're going to start at verse 6 of Malachi 3. Okay, it says this. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. Just to bring some context into this, I think it's important. Uh, These words have been written uh, about 2,400 years ago, give or take. Uh, God's people had been pretty awful to everyone as a result God said okay you're gonna need to be exiled you're gonna need to leave this place uh, that I've created for you Uh, but then the people slowly begin to return Uh, but things aren't quite as good as they were as when they left and so this is a community trying to battle through work through what it means to return to God Uh, but you ask how will we return will a man rob God yet you rob me But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, the vines of your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord God Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now, whatever, whatever feelings, whatever emotions that these words in this text brings up that we be able to bring them all to you. And that all of them we have that image of being able to approach you, our deeply loving parent. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Wellspring Worship Center. My name is James. I am the pastor here. And our current teaching series is called Bad Ideas About the Bible. And In it, we are predictably talking about bad ideas about the Bible. And the first couple of weeks, we looked at this bad idea that God is angry at us all the time, and we discovered that actually a lot of the time that God seems to be angry, uh, all the times we think that God is mad, uh, it turns out God is actually quite hurt, uh, that God grieves with us. And there are definitely times that God is angry, and that's usually because we haven't treated people or creation the way that we should have done, and those are quite understandable things to be angry about, I think. But this week, I thought I would change gears massively so much that you're probably going to get whiplash, but bear with me, uh, to another bad idea about the Bible, and to his bad idea about the Bible is that God wants 10% of your money. That's right, I'm doing a money talk, people. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh <laughs> Feel free to leave. Uh, I remember I was in, like, <laughs> I was, like, I remember there were, like, too many talks I remember in church growing up. And the air just, like, goes out the room, right? People are like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Uh, but, 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 bear in mind, um, this is the first time I'm talking about tithing. So, hey, if it's your first time hearing it, it's my first time saying it. Uh, Tithing is this slightly biblical idea uh, that 10% of your income should go to support the church. We're going to look at the verses that claim to support this. But remember, my conclusion is this isn't a very biblical idea. So let's remember that. Um, Emily, who's in charge of finances here, isn't here probably because her head would explode if she was. But uh, (laughs) I'm glad for her sanity that she's got some space. But it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. Um, I think it's really important before I say anything else, before anything else is said today, I have no idea how much people here give to the church. I know how much one person gives. That is me. I'm the only person that I'm aware of. I realize that some people here have maybe come from painful situations where pastors were aware of the ways that you were contributing financially and that was used to, to shame you or possibly push you away. Uh, perhaps you weren't able to give as much as you would like, but there is no like loaded statement here. So if you are thinking, oh, he's thinking about me, he's in that number, and that is, we're going to gag that lie, and we're going to bind that lie, and we're going to send that lie back to hell where it deserves in the name of Jesus right now, okay? All right, that's good. It's done. The only information actually I have is that people here are generous. There's just there needs to be a few more of us, so you know, that's kind of on me. I thought I would start with a couple of horror stories from churches um, on this. Yeah, I know. We all love that, don't we? You get to feel a little bit smug about it. Um, <laughs> some some horror stories around this 10% number that kind of comes up. One of them I heard quite recently is uh, a church that some people I know went to. And this church, uh, if you're a member, demanded to see your T4A. So they knew that you were definitely giving... Ten percent of your income. So I'm like, yo, man, just work cash in hand. Um, yeah, that's that's a thing. Um, that and that's the thing that happens in churches in Canada, not just the more controlling ones in America. But it's not as uncommon as you might think. Um, another uh, another thing. And I was actually in a sermon uh, where this came up again, and uh, it was quite a, like a rich church. So it's quite funny and and so the people there who are very financially savvy what well is it 10% net or 10% gross like that's you know that's a valid question and and the response was well do you want your blessings to be 10% net or 10% gross <laughs> so some bad teaching i'm i'm hoping that we don't walk away with anything that horrendous but but all to say, like, money is a, is a sensitive subject, and giving is a sensitive subject, and so uh, I want to hold space for that. So if this does bring up some painful stuff, uh, I'm going to try and do better, and tell me how I can do better. So how do we get here? How do we get to the point where we think that churches can demand T4As from their members? Uh, the beginning of most lies is a, a fragment of truth, and, and there are some biblical examples of this idea of giving 10%. So I'm going to look at, honestly, there's only like four or five of them. I'm going to look at them. Uh, The first one that we see in the Bible uh, is when Abraham, who's really the first person in the Bible we get to spend a bunch of time with, uh, he gives Melchizedek, who's a priest of God before the priests have been established. It's a very confusing thing. We don't know what to do with it. But anyway, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. That's in Genesis 14. Uh, the problem with this is... <laughs> so we go, well, there we go. That's It's established 10%. Great. The problem with this is this 10% of everything is referring specifically to the spoils of war that Abraham has just won. Uh, so it's 10% of his plunder. And um, I don't know how to say this gently. I don't want your plunder. Uh, this is where we're at in a church. Please redistribute your spoils of water. <laughs> where you took him from i'll also say this is also the only time it comes up in abraham's life and the bible tells us abraham was 175 years old so you think if it was that important to him he might have done it more than once and what it wasn't just like plunder anyway so i, I know i'm not really compelled with that as i say please don't give your war spoils to wellspring i don't want to do with that Uh, Another example that people like to give is from Leviticus 27. It says this uh, every tithe, uh, tithe means tenth, every tenth or tithe of the herd, and every flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And it's actually quite cool. What you do with that animal is you usually sacrifice it and then you have a meal with your friends. Great. I'm all on board for that. Obviously, I am. But think about this for a second. If it's every tenth, if you only have five sheep, then that doesn't actually affect you, right? It's actually, you know, it's, it's making sure those with more are able to give. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, perhaps the most commonly quoted verse is from Malachi that we just heard. Uh, I'll echo the, the kind of bit that gets echoed all the time. Uh, you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So there are two implications here. Uh, the first, of course, is that if we don't make offerings to God, that we're robbing from God. Uh, and the second is that if we do make offerings to God, then we will get far much, far more than we give. And this versus the one gets wheeled out. Most times, preachers are trying to get money out of their congregations, so take it for what you will. I'm, I'm gonna address the, the obvious, like the first thing that's really obvious. Giving money to God or giving it to the church, and I don't think those things are the same, uh, that doesn't mean you're automatically gonna get more money, like I'm sorry. If, if you did, you give more money, right? That's how, how it works. There's a prosperity preacher who I obviously agree with a lot. Um, who says everything? There's a line where Jesus says, "Everything you give up will be returned to you a hundredfold." Every everything you give up will turn a hundredfold. And they're like, "Why would you put your money in a bank with two percent when you can get ten thousand percent interest giving it to the church?" Um, so that's my promise to you today. Anything you invest will be returned to you ten thousand, uh, returned to you a hundredfold. Um, Interestingly, the Prosperity Preacher doesn't put his money back into a private jet. So I'm not sure they're really sold on what they're teaching there. (laughs) But of course the real question is, what were those offerings supposed to be for in the first place? And I'm going to blow your mind when I say that Malachi 3, this verse that is willed out over and over again to try and, you know, shake the congregants for a little extra cash. Um, it's, it's not about giving the church money. It's not about c- keeping the building going. And it's not about paying my salary as incredibly grateful as I am for that. Would anyone like to guess what this verse is about? I'll give you a hint. It's in the Old Testament and I like it. <laughs> It's about justice, obviously. I know, right? What a surprise. I sort of talked about it this week, but again, if you look at just the verse before, I did this quite intentionally. Uh, I started from verse 6 in our reading. If we jump to verse 5, it says this. So I will come near to you for judgment. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me. Putting money, putting things into the storehouse is about providing for those that need provision. Uh, Likewise, we see people being told to tithe in Deuteronomy. Uh, It says... All the tithes of that year's produce and uh, take it and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, those are the priests, it didn't work, and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. Are we noticing a theme here? This this offering is designed for people that cannot provide for themselves. like There's no welfare programs 3,000 years ago. There's no social security. There's no government housing 3,000 years ago. But right from the very beginning, when God is establishing that law, God makes sure those laws protect those who most need protection. Like, I know I come back to this over and over again, but it's just in the Bible all the time. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I, it comes up like 2,000 times, so I can preach on it every week until I die, probably. But this 10% alt number is also really problematic in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's been used to help rich people feel better about themselves and help poor people feel worse about themselves, which I don't think is the heart of God and certainly isn't mine, and my heart isn't nearly as big as God's. People might think that they're totally good because they gave 10% even though they could have done far more. People might feel ashamed because they weren't able to give 10% as much as they would have loved to. I think this 10% has been used to take more from the poor than they can afford and take less from the rich than they can afford. Like if you have $9 million left over after giving a million dollars, your life is still easier than if you have $90 left after giving 10. So what does the Bible say about giving 10% of your income to church? It just doesn't. Income is a different idea to then and now, and we have securities and church is a different. Like, We're just in a totally different place. It doesn't say that. In fact, if you are paying your taxes, good on you, like keep doing that. I know that taxes are often wasted, but they also support hospitals and schools and welfare programs for people that can't provide for themselves. Keep doing that. I think this 10% thing also has, has forced people to give out of obligation we get fixated on that number, whether we're hitting it and whether it's net or whether it's gross or does it count? Well, was this income? I don't know. Well, I got this on a rare infant from somewhere. How do I fit this in? And then it just becomes another idol because we're fixated on reaching a certain percentage. Then the point of it all, we're giving because we're worried that we'll be in trouble with God or God will be mad or God will withhold God's blessings from us. But also a lot of these laws got nailed to the cross of Jesus 2,000 years ago. The thing is, 10%, I'm, I'm going to break your heart. Jesus calls us into something richer and deeper and more beautiful altogether. He calls us into radical generosity, all of us, in all facets, all areas of our lives that we give, not because we fear of what will happen if we don't, but because we are loved by a God that loves and gives, because we follow a God who gives and gives and gives. Because we know what it's like to share what God has shared with us. And generosity will look very different to each person here, that's okay. God knows you intimately. It will look different at different stages of your life and that's okay too. For some, yeah, maybe you're in a space where you don't have any time and you need to cut a larger check. That's like, that's okay. Again, God knows you intimately. And like, it's not like we don't need it, but each of us has unique ways that the kingdom is blessed by our generosity and it will look different. It's not just about money. It's about every aspect of our life. So again, I'm like, yo, 10%, as much as it is, uh, can be really hard. It's also kind of easy because then you can just stop thinking about things. that's not what this is about. Like, we're in a culture that screams at us to grasp tighter and tighter to the things that we have earned, to the things we're told that we deserve. We're in a culture that bombards us with more and more things, and we're told that we need them, and even though when we get them, they're still not enough. But instead, we follow a Messiah that doesn't cling to what he is entitled to. When people tell you, like, well, you've earned this, you deserve this, you have, but we follow a Messiah whose example is to not hold on to the things that we've earned or we've deserved. Instead, Jesus gives it all up. Jesus doesn't think about condemning the guilty. He protects them. He doesn't think about having his feet washed. He washes the feet. Jesus gives up his right and his comfort and his life because of his deep love, because of his example of generosity. That is the king that we follow. If you want to know what generosity looks like, if you're worried about tithing or giving or what you should be doing, look to Jesus every time. And, and I want to say, like, we're going to fall short every time. Jesus is perfect. We are not. <laughs> so look to Jesus, but also look to the way that Jesus treats people. That when we fall and we stumble and we get it wrong, Jesus is going to carry you and pick you up too. So we look to his example as to what to be and we look to his example as to the grace that he has for us when we fail. But man, the world would be cool if it was like that, eh? I just think this is like—I don't know—I think this is really cool and exciting. i i thought, i know this is going to be hard to believe. I haven't really ever fit in anywhere. Uh, I'm a bit of a non-conformist. I know that's a shock. But but, there's been non-conforming for the sake of it, and I think there's been non-conforming for a reason. And I don't think there's anything. <laughs> more non-conforming in the world right now than radical generosity. Like, people love to quote, like, don't be conformed to the ways of the world and, like, this is a wicked and sinful generation. I'm like, I, like, agree, but probably not for the reasons you want me to. Don't be conformed by instead living out generosity in all facets, right? Everywhere. I've been thinking about this like, signs of revolution and signs of showing we're different and like for the longest time, like a fist in the air. Like this has been the sign of revolution, right? It's a sign of defiance and solidarity with the oppressed. Like civil rights movements used it and the workers movements have used it and women's liberation movements have used it and the apartheid, anti-apartheid movements have used it. Like wherever we see a fist raised in defiance against the oppressor, we'll always find Jesus there. We will, that's where he is. But I think there's something more powerful than a fist clenched in the air and I think that's a hand outstretched with its palm open. A clenched fist can only be used for violence but an open palm can be used not only to receive but to give. So what does it take for us to move to a posture of radical generosity? I don't think there's anything more radical, anything more countercultural in this world than radical generosity to put the needs of others before ourselves this is another i just had a lot of fun with this this week another fun thing i was think about here's, like here's the secret here's the secret that satan doesn't want you to know and the secret that satan doesn't want you to know is just how fun generosity is Like, how good it is, how good it feels to give instead of to take, how good it feels to share instead of to hoard. Oh, man. Like, it's so fun. Like, have y'all discovered this? (laughs) I know you have. Like, this is a rhetorical question, by the way. I want people to know this. Like, I wish I could share just how generous I know you all are on an individual level. And the whole reason you do what you do is because you love to share and love to be generous. And if I shared why you did it, then then it doesn't count anymore as a whole thing. But like, y'all are so generous. Again, like, maybe with your tithing, I don't know how much you give, I don't know. But I do know that generosity just pours out of you guys. All the things that happen here behind the scenes. And like, yo, even not just those who are volunteer. Uh, you know what, I'm going to name one person. I'm going to name Kevin. I'm going to name all the things that Kevin does. Also, do you know how many job offers Kevin gets? Better hours, better pay. All the time. And he stays with us. Because he's one of the most generous people I know. Hmm. And, and it's a privilege to work alongside him. And and I recognize I live solely on your generosity right now. But man, it's been fun to be one of the people that's able to share for once. Like for a long time, I lived completely on the generosity of others and left me just as much to get by. But like, of course, this is exciting because it's who we were created to be. we're following the creator who is infinitely generous and infinitely creative and so when we live into that divine one's divine image who is infinitely generous of course it feels good it's who we're supposed to be it's christ in us the hope of glory who sings when we imitate even a fraction of his life-giving generosity (laughs) so does God want ten percent no Bet you wish God did just want 10% now, right? We look at the people that Jesus applauds in his ministry. The widow who gave everything she had, not because God loves stealing from people with everything, but because her heart overflowed with generosity. Because she saw Jesus and was like, what else can I do? Her heart bursts because she sees jesus and wants to be like jesus and jesus who demands the rich unruled give all he has to the poor like become like the widow see how happy she is see how she's doing uh, but he has too much the more we have the more we have to lose and it gets hard and <laughs> I, was, I wasn't you know i was i'm just i'm into this now but let's t- let's turn to acts acts two and i'm nearly done i swear Acts 2, it's on page 1141. And this is when Jesus' earthly ministry has just ended and Jesus has returned to be in heaven, united with God and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit descends and people understand what it's like to follow God and to be in community and love one another. And it says this: They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and breaking bro- of the bread, to prayer. Everyone was shared with awe, with filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. And gave ten percent no. <laughs> All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods and gave to everyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. These people weren't locked down by uh, laws or... Expectations, they were just overcome with excitement and joy and generosity in every facet of their lives. So, to close, (laughs) do I want you to continue being generous with the church? Yes. (laughs) I really like what I do, I really love my job, and I really love what we have going here, and I think it's good. But most of all, I want us to be a people known for our generosity. But what you give and how you give and what you give and why you give and when you give, that's going to look different for each person, each of you intimately known by a God who loves you more than you can imagine. And (laughs) if you're sitting here and you think you're being nudged that maybe you need to give more of yourself in some way, uh, then, then take that to God and double to check that's what God wants you to do. And if you're feeling relieved, actually, I, I maybe I don't need to give to the church in the way that I've been doing. Maybe this doesn't need to be a weight around my neck. Then take that to God and double check and ask God what other ways your generosity can bless our community. But every time... We choose to share rather than to grasp we're living into who god created us to be we pledge our allegiance to the king of the universe and to be open-handed in a closed-fist world let's pray Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you are generous with us and we pray that you open our eyes more and more and more to all those pieces And Lord, wherever those lies come in and say that we should grab just a little tighter than we need, that we should share a little less than we ought, that your voice be louder. We pray that we can live into who it is you created us to be, that we share what you have shared, that we are generous with all the ways that you have been generous with us. We thank you for all you have done, all that you are doing, and all that we believe that you will do. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.